This week on the Immigrant Hustle podcast, we're joined by the founder of the Mental Health Spotlight, Jesse Brar. The Mental Health Spotlight is a movement dedicated to spreading awareness about mental health in South Asian communities. In this episode, Jesse talks about her family's migration from Tanzania to Canada, the separation of her parents, what it was like growing up in a single-parent household, and having to serve as a parental figure to two of her younger siblings. Jesse is very open and honest talking about her struggles with depression, anxiety, and alcoholism, as well as how she came to embrace those darker parts of herself in order to get the support that she needed. We also talk about how taking ownership over your story can be a very empowering thing, as Jessie has used her experience with mental illness to talk to the government in Canada as well as the royals in the UK about what needs to change in mental health services in the Western world. We also talk about mental health in South Asian families and households and the way it's treated currently and what needs to change going forward. This is a conversation we've really wanted to have on this podcast for a very long time, so we're really excited that Jesse was here to have this discussion with us. Sit back and enjoy. This is Season 2, Episode 8 of the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. Okay, this is the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. I am your host, B-Magic. I got my brother, Noise, with me. And today we are joined by a very special guest. Please introduce yourself from the Mental Health Spotlight. Oh, you want to say my name? <laughs> yeah, your actual name. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say my name. That's cool. Uh, my name is Jesse, uh, Jesse Brar. I'm with the Mental Health Spotlight. I'm... I don't know. We'll, we'll get into it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Great uh, introduction. <laughs> All right. We're off to an awesome start. Uh, Brampton representative. Yeah, okay. kind of. I'm like a Brampton-Caledon hybrid. I grew up okay. in Brampton for the most part, and then I've been in Caledon for like 10 years now. I find like a lot of people that claim Caledon are just like, I don't want to claim Brampton, so I'm just going to claim Caledon. <laughs> yo, I'm the borderline, but yo, yeah, I'll no, claim like, Caledon I'm two minutes away from here, but I'm like the opposite side of Mayfield, yeah, okay. so I'm like actually Caledon. That's Other where you send of, my okay. letters to. All right. Literally, okay. my brother lives across the street in Caledon, and like his like car insurance got cut in half. I'm oh, so yeah. like, <laughs> I'm jealous. I'm jealous of the Caledon uh, residents. Yeah. So I think just to give a little bit of a backstory, the reason why Jesse, I wanted to get you on the show in the first place was like I've been following your work with the Mental Health Spotlight for a while now, and like you're doing an incredible job, just you know providing this platform where people can share their stories, particularly people from you know, uh, immigrant backgrounds or non-North American backgrounds mm. where that discussion around mental health doesn't really exist. So that's where I kind of first became aware of you and the work that you do. And yeah, you know, you've done a lot of dope stuff partnering with other agencies and organizations, and we're going to get into all that stuff. But as we like to do with this show, we like to take it all the way back mm -hmm. to the very beginning. Um, so when did your family first arrive into Canada? Uh, yeah, so... My parents are both from India, but my family, like, I guess history in general, like my mom's side of the family, they're like a world traveler people. Like my grandparents grew up um, in India for the most part. They moved to Tanzania, I think, when they were probably in their like 20s. Okay. So it was, yeah. So like my mama and my masi, they all grew up in Tanzania and my mom's the only one who's not cool enough. And like, <laughs> she, like <laughs> they sent her back and like she grew up in India. Um, and my dad just, I think he moved to Canada when he was probably like six or seven. So he wow. was like, he's been here for a while. Um, and yeah, I guess just how it happens is like arranged marriages. My dad yeah. was apparently like at a wedding one day and I was like, that one. <laughs> so so then like him and my mom got married and they like moved here. Um, 
and yeah, so like they lived in Hamilton. Like I'm the oldest of three, so we grew up kind of um, in that area. I moved to Mississauga, so a lot of like GTA life. And um, I mean, we'll get we can get into it a little later. But like my parents eventually split up, and that's when I came to Brampton. So my mom, um, she's always been kind of like this hustler who like um, there was just like family life wasn't great, and like she kind of took that initiative and was like, you know what, like. It, like nothing's gonna get in the way of me and my kids having the best life yeah. so she took us out so me my siblings I have a younger brother and a younger sister so all three of us we moved to Branson with her and um, like grew up there and that's how I'm here now I guess and then to Caledon so that's, that's a whole <laughs> lot right there yeah. yeah so I guess just as you know like you mentioned how your parents separated mm-hmm. and you were the oldest sibling kind of did you have to take on that parental role for sure. So I, it's not even that I had to, like in my mind I had to. Mm-hmm. So it was never, like I never got any pressure from my mom or anything. So I guess like a bit of backstory. So my father um, is an alcoholic. So growing up there was just a lot of abuse, a lot of like problems that come with alcoholism in the family. Mm-hmm. So like we, like, and it was scary stuff. Like I remember being eight and almost getting into car accidents because my dad would refuse to let my mom drive or wow. like all of this stuff. And my mom being someone who like obviously like she came from India and this is her new family like her none of her family is here my we don't have any family in like the GTA like everyone Mm -hmm. is in the states at that time we had some family in England like she was very much alone and didn't know what to do so for a while she just kind of put up with it hoping it would get better and we moved out once when I was about eight and um, at that time I didn't really understand what was going on so it was just um, my mommy my brother back then Mm -hmm. and I like begged my mom I was like no mom like I miss my dad like I want to go back and then like I've always felt like very slightly guilty about that because Mm -hmm. I'm the one who made her go back and then we went back and it got worse um and so when I was 11 she was like enough is enough like this is affecting my children like they can't grow up like this and so she just took everything and like we left and Mm -hmm. so because I was the oldest my sister at the time was only two I was 11 my brother was nine and my mom had to work like two or three jobs so she'd wake up at six she wouldn't be home till 11 like naturally I was just like it's like I have to step up I'm like who else is gonna do it like if like she's not there like it's no fault of her own so I would make our lunches like get make sure like we all got to school drop my sister off at the babysitter whatever needed to be done and so Mm -hmm. there was always this inherent like I felt like the second mom like to the point where my sister actually called me mom. Like, she had no idea oh, who wow. her actual mom was yeah. for a while. She's like, your mom, right? I was like, I'm not your mother. <laughs> um, and, like, even now, like, I'm so protective over them. Like, I hilariously, like, I'll be, like, at a party. And they're like, w- like why are you leaving? Where are you going? I'm like, I have to feed my children. Like, they're like, are your siblings not, like, 16 and 22 now? I'm like, yeah. But they're like, you know, they need to eat. So, yeah. like, I'm going to go home and I'll make dinner. Um, and so all of that stuff. And it was, like it caused, I guess, some issues internally. And like, I don't know, there was just like this whole like burden I felt where Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm what, like 13, 14 acting like I'm 35. Yeah. So it was interesting. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things like, because you don't know that you're going through something Mm -hmm. and you're just, you're just like, okay, this is what I have to do because you're, you're moving on instinct but then, you know, now that you can reflect on it, you realize, wow, there's so much that was coming onto yeah. me, right? But the, it's one of those things that when you're in the in the midst of it, as a, as a young child like that, like, you know, you, you're not going to re- reflect a, upon what is happening to you. You're just going to react. And I feel like not many people 
are able to even reflect on it later on in life because mm-hmm. they just move on, right? But yeah. I think that's an important part thing, uh, um, important part of healing that you need to do is to reflect on it whenever you have the chance to kind of snap out of just that instinctual kind of getting through the day kind of thing. Definitely. I think for a while it was just like you didn't have time to think. Like there was no other option. Like it was like I turned 15. I'm like, I need a job like right now. I think I like... I don't even think I, like, did anything else. I, like, had my birthday, and I was like, Mom, like, okay, so, like, where do I go get a job? Like, how do I do this? And, like, I started working when I was 15, and I think I had two or three jobs up until now. Now I'm ridiculous and have seven. <laughs> um, but, like, I, like, I've always kind of had that mentality, and I, it was also seeing my mom. Like, my mom never took a break, so I was like, like, I can't take a break. And no. it was kind of, like, that's how I'd seen it, and that's what I was used to. And it wasn't until I started openly talking to other people where I'm like, oh, this isn't normal. I'm yeah. like, oh, 15-year-olds don't run their household? Uh-huh. Where I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like, and then, like, recently I've kind of had that time where, like, I'm older, my siblings are older, my family's doing very well now, like, everything's kind of, like, settled down now and, like, mm-hmm. is good. And so I had that time to reflect and look back and, like, yeah, I would say that's when, like, healing started where you're like, okay, like, everything like it happened like whatever it was you went through it and you still got through it so how can you kind of use these lessons moving forward well what were like some of the issues that you kind of dealt with like the older you got and kind of when you realize you're not the normal you know kid who has (laughs) all those responsibilities that you had at such a young age for sure I think I like I was pretty young when I realized I like wasn't normal like I remember this is like a very vivid memory and every time someone like asks me about it, this is the one thing that comes up is like Canada Day would happen and like fireworks are going off and all the kids are like going nuts. They're like, this is so cool. Like, let's go watch the fireworks. And I would like sit in a corner and I'd like hide because I'm like, oh my God, like the loud noises are scaring me. I don't want to do this. Like I would be in near tears over the fireworks and everyone else is having fun. And I was like, what's wrong with me? Yeah. Um, and it was because I had like, I was used to seeing my dad at home smashing mirrors and like breaking like stuff around the house and like mm-hmm. yelling. And so loud noises just didn't sit well with me. And it was all of those kind of little things. So I always knew something was wrong, but I never wanted to bring it up because my mom was a single mother yeah. and she was mm-hmm. taking care of three kids. So I was like, you know what, regardless of what I'm going through, like, let me just deal with it myself and hope for the best, which is obviously not the best thing to do. And like it caused other issues. Um, but yeah, I was super young. And then I think when I started to get around like 15, 16 and I would like talk to other people in school and like, be like, Oh, like they'd be like, Oh, what are you doing this weekend? I'm like, Oh, I have like a double shift at work and then I'm going to go do this. And then like, I have to make sure my sister gets help with her homework and I have to take my brother to like this class. And they're like, what, like, where are you? Like, what Mm -hmm. are you doing? Like, do you want to come to a party? I'm like, Nope. Like, I don't think I went to my first party until I was 19. Like, legitimately, <laughs> like, a, a party that wasn't, like, a brown wedding. Like, I don't think I, I went until I was 19. Wow. And, it, like, to me, I was, like, that's just, like, my normal life. I was, like, I would be working, like, every day after school. I would go, like, to Tim Hortons. I, like, worked there for five years. And I was, like, yep, like, it's my shift at Tim's. I would, like, work a double on Saturday if I had to, like, wherever I could. And, like, the most I kind of, like, like downtime I would have would be, like, I'd stay at home and, like, maybe watch TV. I also didn't watch TV, like, when I was younger. Like, it was weird. (laughs) (laughs) Just between you and your mother, was there any kind of conversation about what either of you were going through? Or was it both of you were kind of in your own independent work modes? Um, I think we were both kind of, like, in our independent work modes. Hilariously, me and my mom are the same human. Like, like, my mom is, like, me times ten. Like, I'm, like, loud, obnoxious. Like, she's 
loud and obnoxious. <laughs> so, She's like, louder and yeah, more like obnoxious. way, like way louder, way more obnoxious. Yeah. Like we're both sassy. Like so, we were, but we're also both very independent women. Right. So like we never we always both had this thing where we're like, we don't want to burden other people. And mm. so she would stay quiet because she's like, I don't want my kids to see me crying. Like, it, we talk about it now. Like, in yeah. retrospect, we've both talked about it. And she'd be like, oh, yeah, like, there would be times where I'd, I'd pull up into the driveway and, like, cry for half an hour before, like, fixing my makeup and coming inside mm. to see you guys. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I would stay after school when yeah. I would really be having, like, a meltdown. But the first time we actually had, like, a bit of a conversation was when I was 16 and I was starting to realize that I was very, very different from the people around me. And I had a, like, psych class. It was, like, intro to psych in high school, and I was mm-hmm. taking the class. Um, this is also the first time I realized what was actually wrong with me because yeah. at first I just thought I was different. I'm like, okay, I'm just, like, weird. Um, and then I was in psych class, and they're talking through, like, the symptoms of depression and anxiety. I was like, ah, there's words for this. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and so I went home, and, I, and, like, I was just so confused, and I had so much information thrown at me the, that, like, first day of intro to psych. And I, like, went up to my mom, and, like, just very, like, out of curiosity, I was like, mom, I think I'm depressed. And she, like, looks at me, and she's like, what do you like what do you mean you think you're depressed like <laughs> yeah. she's like who says that i'm like i don't know i'm like i went to psych class and she's like have you and then she goes into her own psych lesson and she's like have you heard this thing where like students reflect what they learn i'm like no mom like i don't think that's what it is <laughs> and she's like seriously though like wh- like she's like if this is a thing and you are depressed she's like why though she's like you've got straight a's like i was always a good student she's like you have a family that loves you like you have a lot of friends like what are you depressed about and i was mm-hmm. sitting there and i was like I don't know. I was like, I guess I'm not depressed. And I was like, I I have no idea what's going on. And that was like our first initial conversation. And it just goes to show how much like lack of education there is. Not only from like me, I grew, I was born here. I grew up here. I had no idea what was going on. She was older and still had nothing, like Mm -hmm. no idea what was going on. So it was, that was like our very first conversation that we had. No, I had a very similar uh, interaction like that with my dad. Mm -hmm. Like, because I was at, at my last last place that I was working at, and like I would struggle to work there because I like like I was going through a lot of these symptoms, but I didn't mm-hmm. know what it was. I didn't have that that ability to put a title on it yeah. or a description on it. And I was like, I was on some website. I don't remember what website it was, but there was um, a survey, and then you complete the survey, and it would tell you like if they would recommend you getting additional support around mm-hmm. mental health. So I did it, and it was like, yeah, you really need to get help, like, right now. Like, <laughs> like I've taken the survey. The survey was yelling at me. It was like, what are you doing <laughs> yeah. here right now? Like, go get help. Get yeah. off your ass. So, so I had that moment, and then I was like, okay, this is like, something's off here. Mm-hmm. I've, I've known for a while something is off, yeah. but just didn't have the, like you said, didn't have the knowledge or the awareness mm-hmm. to act upon it in a meaningful or constructive way. And then I had that conversation with my dad, and it was along the, the same lines where he's like, well... You have a house, you have food, you know, you have running water. Because when my dad grew up, he grew up in a village where he had Mm -hmm. a house that was made out of mud, basically, Mm -hmm. right? They didn't have water. They didn't have electricity until he was like 19 years old, Yeah. right? So a lot of the, from where they came to where we are now, he was just like, we did all of this for you guys. Mm -hmm. So how can you, now that you have all this, how can you turn around and say that you're depressed? So from my, my dad's perspective, it kind of seemed like that I was being ungrateful. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like through the lens of migration, it was like we came here to make things better and things are better from where they started. And you guys aren't struggling the way we had to struggle back in the day. So why are you still feeling this way? It had to be something external. 
that had to be the cause of everything. And if it wasn't external, he didn't understand it. Yeah, I would say that's just like the immigrant mentality. It's like, yeah. because that's like, that's you leave India or wherever you're from to build a better life. And a better life includes meeting your basic needs at that yeah. point in time, especially when you like move for the first time. Like, I like we all hear the parents of like, <laughs> like yeah. when I came here, I had like $10 in my pocket yeah. and like blah, blah, blah. And then yeah. I'm like, and at first, like I like my my like grandpa used to say that, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, dude. Like, okay. Mm. And then I saw my mom leave her house with literally only three hundred dollars in her pocket mm. and have to build everything up because my dad had drained our bank accounts. Yeah. So she literally only had three hundred dollars. I'm like, no, like this is an actual thing. Like she mm. didn't have time to worry about whether or not she enjoys her career. Mm -hmm. She had to worry about is there food on the table? Are my kids able to go to school? Do they have clothes on their back? Do we have heat in our house? Mm -hmm. And that's how it is for a lot of just immigrants who are coming in. Like our parents, like they all came here and the first things they had to worry about was were those things. And then when they got those things, they were like, okay, now I have to worry about my kids getting those things. Mm -hmm. So I don't think our parents have ever had a time to reflect on like internal yeah goals or whatever drives them or whatever is going on ambitions and everything like that so it's a very different mentality well even even in our culture yeah to, to show emotion is weakness mm -hmm. right and that's mm -hmm. something that like yo we all, all our family dynamics are different but as a culture all of these things are the same within our households yeah. But that's because that's what all that they know. Mm -hmm. There has never been no education to them other than that. If you show a sign of weakness, smarten up and don't show that yeah. sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. Like, get over it. Like, you know? But that's the thing. It's like the the strides that have been made is is huge. But till this day, I, th that same mentality has still been brought up on me when I was young. And even... I see that they are unable to have those conversations of what they went through when they were going through things like that, sure. Where, which is the easiest way for us to have a relatable conversation about it. But instead, it's like, all right, let's just suppress these emotions and, you know, not talk about it, which is detrimental to us all in a sense. What I found is you have to bring it into a way they can understand. They no. didn't grow up with the vocabulary of, this is kind of depression. This is anxiety. Like, they don't know what that is. Like, my 85-year-old nanny, like, she's going to be like, Akia, like, I don't understand. Like, I don't want to talk about it. And I no. think a lot of people just have that fear of when you don't understand something, you, you shut it off and you don't want to talk about it, regardless of who you are. Mm -hmm. And so what I found when I was having these conversations with my mom, like, when I told her when I was 16 and I was depressed, she was like, that doesn't make sense. She's like, depression is like this disease that happens to people who aren't happy in life and don't have the things they need. And that's why they're depressed. So she's mm -hmm. like, that doesn't make sense to me. Um, but now when I was older, I was like, listen, there's this thing that happens. I'm like, I just don't feel happy sometimes. I'm not sure if it's like what's going on in my brain or whatever it is. Um, but I just like, sometimes I'm just really upset and I can't get out of bed. So those are th things she can understand. She's like, I can relate to that feeling. And like, same with my nanny. Like, she's 85 and just got on anxiety medication for the first time. Anxiety runs in my family, surprisingly, no. like shockingly. Um, but she, to her, I was like, she had just started to hear me have these conversations openly. And I was like, you know what? Like, yeah, like sometimes I just don't feel well. And she's like, yeah, I get that too. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, she's like, my heart just like feels like, something's wrong and I was like you know what those are symptoms of anxiety I was like let's talk to your doctor and she kind of went for it um and I also I want to give a shout out to this group called Ladlia so it's this group based in Brampton they do a lot of um like 
I guess like events and stuff to uh, to support women in the Punjabi and like South Asian community. And they have this one program called BG and Me, which okay. is where they get like all of these like BGs to come in, like all of their dadbiya naniya and everything. And uh, they invited me one time to come and talk about mental health. Okay. And I was so scared. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, they're going to hate me. Like, I'm out here talking about my alcohol problem and, like, my anxiety and depression. I'm like, they're going to hate me. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't do this. And I almost said no. And I was like, my, and I told my mom and I told my nanny. And my nanny's like, you know what? Like, she's like, what's, what's the problem? She's like, do you care about what they think? And I was like, yeah, a little bit. She's like, well, I don't. So, <laughs> like, no. I was like, okay. No, she sounds like a G. Uh, Yo, gangster my nanny, nanny in the cut. My nanny is literally my favorite human. Like, yeah. I'll show up and, like, so my family's, uh, I mean, we are very untraditional. And, like, yeah. because I live in, like, a household where it was always, like, strong females who kind of, like, did everything. Like, I'll wear, like, short shorts in the house, and I'll be, like, going out. My mom will be, like, seriously? Seriously? Those are so short. Like, what's yeah. wrong with you? Go upstairs and change. My nanny will walk in and be like, hey, Latanya, Sonia, like, your legs look so good. She's like, go kill it. I'm like, nanny, like, you're the best. <laughs> but nanny pushed me, and nanny told me to go do yeah. this BG and me thing. So I show up, and I start talking, and I was just, like, very openly. I was like, yeah, so, like, I, like, struggled with my mental health. I'm like, I don't really know what the Punjabi word for it is, but, like, mm -hmm. I, there was just times in my life where I didn't feel good. And every single, like, I think the youngest person other than me in the room would have been probably, like, 75. <laughs> um, but every single one of them opened up and talked about how they had struggled, mm. about how when they were moving from a new country, like when they were moving here, how that took a effect on their mental health. But they felt like they couldn't tell anyone because they were the ones who had to like keep their household running. They had to make food every mm -hmm. single day or how they had struggled with like trying to find how to work with their husband when they had just got married to a stranger, like all of that stuff. And all of them opened up and they're like, you know what? Like we've never had these conversations before. And it's because they didn't feel comfortable. Like it's that two way street where like, yeah we don't feel comfortable talking to our parents because we're like, they're not going to get it. And like, yeah. our parents don't feel comfortable talking to us because they're like, they don't understand. Yeah. Like, they didn't have to struggle like we did. And we're like, they didn't grow up here. Like, how are they going to get what we went through? Yeah. And so it's really about finding that middle ground of being mm -hmm. like, you know what? Like, we've all had our struggles. We've all been through things. How can I put this into something you can understand and we can kind of meet in the middle? Right. I've always, that's a, that's a great point you bring up just about like mental health in the elderly population. Because mm -hmm. I always thought about it where... You know, our parents come here, obviously they're working a lot, but when they bring their parents over, yeah. the house is empty, right? Mm -hmm. they're, so our, our grandparents are at home, kids are at school, parents are at work, so there's nothing for them to do. Like that yeah. isolation, yep. like what does that, like what does that result in? So I think, you know, an initiative like that where you're providing a space for an often overlooked population to actually have a chance to share their voice and to not feel neglected or isolated mm -hmm. i think that's a, a beautiful initiative for sure and i think just even like i don't know mental health is one of those things like people get confused between mental health and mental illness so mm -hmm. mental illness is like an actual illness that one in five canadians is the statistic that will struggle with a mental illness but mental health is something every single person has like right, you've got right. a mind like everyone has mental health and we just have our like days like it's on a spectrum so you could have a healthy day or like something comes up you could be stressed you could be struggling or you could be in a crisis regardless mm. of whether or not you have a mental illness and I think that's something we forget is that everyone has their days and especially when you're older like your body doesn't work like it used to like you're you don't have the luxury of like going out and like there's not people around you and you're stuck at home like what do you mm -hmm. do and it is like 
a very, especially like here, we like we all live or most of us live in kind of these like big households where we have like our grandparents, we have our parents, we have Mm -hmm. the kids and all of this stuff. And like the grandparents, I feel like are always overlooked because you're like, you're like, what do they have to worry about? Like, they don't have to go work. They don't have like school to go to, whatever. Like, they're just chilling. Yeah. Is kind of the mentality. And right, then right. you see that a lot of grandparents are like getting irritable or like they're not used to anything. And you're like, what? Like, why are they so high strung or whatever mm-hmm. is going on? But it, yeah, it would be so hard like coming to a new country, especially at an older age, living in a place where you can't really do anything all of the time and just like the changes of being older. Everyone yeah. has kind of their free, like, I don't know. Uh, apparently it starts after 25 i'm still young <laughs> um, like every year you're like oh shit i'm older yeah, <laughs> like, no, we're, we're a little bit older we like <laughs> no we yeah. got those back pains <laughs> knee pains there was a time where i never thought about mental health and every yeah. year <laughs> i realize how much more my life is fucked up but, <laughs> but um you know i it was one of those things i i, I know for me that like i never even thought about it for mm. the longest time but then the more, like you said, the more the dialogue started happening. Because, like, we've even said this in earlier episodes. Like, I remember health class when we were young. And there was not a fucking, oh, not no. a mention no. of this Nothing. shit ever. Up until, like, maybe probably right before we graduated high school is when it first started seeing yeah. words like depression. But still, like, minimal compared to what it is now, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that you started seeing these things and you're like, like you said, oh, there's a word for that feeling I had. Like, that's legit how I felt at times. I'm like, okay, this is not normal. And I literally have watched somebody in my household deal with depression. And I remember when I first saw it thinking, being like, snap out of that shit. What's Mm -hmm. wrong with Mm -hmm. you? Because that's the, that's that Indian mentality of that's what, I have heard from my elders and I've seen as a kid that, yo, so-and-so is going through this bullshit. All right, yo, they got to toughen up because this is a rough world and let's keep it moving. Yeah. Yeah. That was the shit that I was sold as a young kid. So that's what I was thinking. But the more I realized what has happened and now, even now reflecting back on that time in my life, because I was still young, you can't just snap out of that. It's a feeling. And I've lived through times where I'm like, yo, everything's everything that I wanted as in goals in life I'm in in the uh, either attaining or reaching in the right direction, but still I feel like complete mm-hmm. shit. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's like every like what like you know everything I'm trying to do in my life to to get happiness is somehow making me feel like shit, even if I'm succeeding at it. So it's like okay, like tell me what the fuck do I have yeah. to do to fucking win here, you know? And that's when I was like, okay. There's ways of dealing with it. It's just you have to find them rather than just wondering what the fuck is going on, mm-hmm. right? So, what, like, in a sense, um, wh- what are some things that helped you with understanding these things that you were going through? Honestly, like, my biggest change came when I realized I wasn't the only one going through it. I think with mental health issues, with all of it, the scariest part is feeling like you're alone and feeling like there's just something so fundamentally wrong with you that other people aren't going to love you and you're not worthy of love. That's like when I was going through it, that was the biggest, most overwhelming feeling. And I remember um, like when I told my mom and she was like, it was, it wasn't a direct snap out of it, but it was, you're probably not depressed. Like stop it. Like you're being dramatic. I've always been a dramatic child. So she's like, you're just having a moment. I'm like, okay. Um, And then I went to university, so I went to Queens. I moved three hours away from home. No longer had my family, like, 
who are the biggest parts of my support system. And I was living on my own and I'm like living with strangers. I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like I got to the point where I was like my whole schedule had been flipped. So like I still had classes, like I had 8 a.m. class every single day, but instead I would like go out, I'd party. And so I'd be up until like six in the morning and then I'd sleep from like seven till three. And then I'd be like, well, I missed all my classes for the day. So like, I guess I'll just go out and do something. Um, And I was really, really struggling all of first year. Like I was a wreck. And it wasn't until in my second year, I was attending this presentation by accident. I was just with a group of students and they had no idea where they were going. They're like, can you show us where this like building is? I was like, okay, sure. And so it got to the point where it was just like awkward if I left the room because like it had already started. So I was like, okay, like I might as well just stay here. And it was, so at Queens, there's not a lot of brown people. So two South Asian guys. And I was like, one, didn't you, didn't know people like this existed on campus. I'm like, there are other brown people here. That's a surprise (laughs) to me. Um, And then they started talking and they were talking about their mental health. And they were talking about how in their first year, they had also both, drank a lot they were covering up their problems they felt like they couldn't talk to their parents because their parents had spent so much money to send them to this gigantic like prestigious school but they were still struggling so much and they had no idea what to do about it and so they and i was sitting there and i was like oh my god that's me i'm like oh my god that's exactly how i feel and then they talked about how they got help and how they went and talked to a counselor and i was like sitting there i was like you know what like if they can do it i can too and it was really just about hearing that open conversation that kind of help change my perspective like it's okay I'm like I'm not the only one going through this and I guess it just decreased some of that stigma that I had around everything Mm because I always thought like asking for help made you weak because I'd seen my mom do everything without asking for help like she'd always she builds up her life and like our life without help I never asked for help I never had to ask for help in school I never had to ask like I never asked my mom for anything I never had to ask for money like I was always doing it for myself and so I was just used to taking care of things on my own but you have to realize like there are some things you can't and it sucks and it's about finding like you're like I'm doing everything right like I'm getting like the job I'm getting the girl I'm getting whatever but I'm still not happy why is that and like sometimes there isn't a reason and like you just have to ask someone be like, you know what? I don't know what's going on. Like, help me out here. And so I think that was kind of the biggest change that happened for me. You talked a bit about you know, going to university, being at Queens. I remember my university experience. Like, I had such high hopes going into it. And then first year literally kicks your ass and makes <laughs> you say, like, I don't know what I'm doing with the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, I guess what were your, your goals going into university? And did they change at all over those four years? So I never wanted to go to university. Okay. I always wanted to go to college. Yeah. I don't know why. Um, I, I think ever since I've been younger, I've never been able to settle on a career goal. Like I would come home one day, I'm like, mom, I'm going to be a teacher. And she's like, okay, cool. Like that's a good job. Um, and then I came home the next day. I was like, mom, I'm going to be a doctor. She's like, you're scared of blood. That's not going to work. <laughs> I was like, okay, so I guess I'll be a lawyer then. And she's like, that, okay, like whatever. And my mom yeah. was always like, you do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Just get a degree was her thing. And then... I was in school. I was a really good student. Like I said, I was super lame. All I did was go to school and work. Like I didn't party or anything. Um, And I had straight A's. And so she was like, why wouldn't you go to university? I was like, I guess so. And I I was like, so mom, like, 
what should I take? No one in my family had ever gone to university before. I was like, I don't know how to do this. Um, I was like, so like, what do I do? (laughs) She's like, she's like, I don't know. Just pick something you like. I was like, I don't know what I like. She's like, what classes are you good at? I'm like, I got a hundred percent in psych. She's like, looks like you're going into psych. (laughs) Um, And then I was like, okay, but like, which university do I go to? And she's like, I don't know. Just pick some. And I was like, okay. So I applied to like Queens, U of T, McMaster and Ottawa. And, they were all on the basis of they all had pretty buildings. <laughs> so I was like, these are pretty. <laughs> like, I'll go here. Yeah. And then I, like, got my acceptances from all of them. And, and my mom's like, so which one are you going to pick? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I guess I'll go to U of T and then I can stay home. And she's like, no, get out of my house. Okay. I was like, okay. <laughs> See, that's, I find that's interesting because I find a lot of, like, at least Punjabi parents are like, oh, no, yeah. we want you oh. close to home. Mm-hmm. We want you to come home every night. Yeah, my mom's a weirdo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she was like, get out of my house. I was like, yeah. pardon me? And she's like, yeah, like, go live your life. Learn how to live on your own. She's like, you need, she's like, I'm done cooking for you. Yeah. I'm done cleaning for Dude, you. That's great advice. Yeah, though. it is. It like, is. and she, like, she forced me and my brother, mm-hmm. like, my brother went, ended up going to college and he, he's a mama's boy. Like, yeah. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> um, he did not want to leave the house. Yeah. And my mom was like, get out <laughs> like she like literally to the point she was like they had to like negotiate a deal where she was mm. like you have to be out of the house for at least six months she's like you can come home on weekends like it was like this visitation <laughs> thing and then it, he like did it for literally like the day six months were over he's like mom i'm back and yeah. like my mom's like seriously <laughs> like and like i like i loved living away and it was really like i got to learn a lot about myself but yeah so queens thankfully has a open first year and so in high school, I'd always been good at like the sciences. So in mm-hmm. first year, I took like calculus, chemistry, bio, psych, and then one other course. That That's I can't like remember. the death semester. <laughs> yeah. 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 I didn't know that because <laughs> I was like, yeah, like this is what I've always yeah. done. Like I've always been good at school. And like literally I was so full of myself because I'm like, yeah, I get straight A's without even trying. Yeah. And it's high school because of course you do. <laughs> Nothing's going on. Um, and I got to first year and I was like, oh, my God. I, I have no idea what's going on. And then, of course, mm. like, I was also not going to class, which you can't do in first year. And, like, it got to the point where psych was the only class I was doing well in. Mm. And so I just kept on getting pushed into psych because I had done well in high school. I, it was the only class. Like, I literally fainted during both of my calculus exams to the oh. point where – because <laughs> okay. I would go in and I was I had never gone to any of the classes. And I would look at the paper and be like, <gasps> I don't know what's going <laughs> on. And then I fainted during the exam. And then my professor was like, so you didn't write a single thing on your paper. I was mm. like, yeah. So he's like, let's just take this off for your transcript and pretend it never <laughs> happened. I'm like, yeah, thanks. Um, but, yeah, psych was the only one I did mm. well in. So I ended up taking psych as my major tried dropping out of high school or high school, tried dropping out of university in second year. And my mom's like, why don't you just change your major? Like, instead of being in sciences, why don't you change it to arts? Yeah. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Try dropping out again in third year. And she's like, okay, now you only have one year left. Yeah, and she's might like, as just, well. She's like, just take some classes and finish your degree. So I took ancient humor and okay. intro to business. Ancient humor. What, what, oh what is God. that about? Oh, my God. Ancient humor. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very hard class. Okay. Um, you had to send in a joke every single week. Okay. So every single week you had to post in, like, what we called Moodle, like, whatever, like, the online thing was. And you had to put in your joke. And then you also had to study other people's jokes and yeah. see if they were funny or not. And then report okay. back why they're funny yeah. or not. I do that on Netflix every <laughs> night anyways. It so was great. It was my well. favorite class. Um, but yeah, so I just kind of, I, I just ended up with a psych degree. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like school, I've always 
like I tell my brother and my sister this as well that like university I didn't really like the classes weren't for me and I didn't learn much there but like the actual experience of living away on my own having to make my own life decisions all of that meeting the people I met from like other parts of the world and all of this stuff that was the stuff that I took away most and yeah so I just kept getting pushed into this like psychology Mm -hmm. stuff and like learning about it and the whole time I was like yeah like this stuff is really cool I don't like the clinical like I don't like the sciencey part of it but like I like talking about it like learning about it and I like that it helps you understand people like I've always been a people person and I like that's kind of what it did Mm -hmm. and then I wrote my last exam and so I was also on a dance team when I was in school so I, was, I did like Bollywood and Pongra and everything Holy um, <laughs> I did, did the whole Nax bit all of it yeah um, okay just okay, let's, let's detour a little bit let's yeah. detour to Nax Nax is a mental health issue of its own I don't Yo, if you OPA liked, is a mental health <laughs> issue if you have liked yeah. Nax or OPA like some who is holding you hostage who is making yeah. you say these things like there's not a single person I've talked to that ha- has like gone through that without I don't like, understand how sanity. there's been like 20 years of the same exact party <laughs> and the like, same uh, circumstances. Because it makes sense though. Because oh like God. as a kid, you're going to these hall parties with your parents. Yeah. Now you have a chance to go to a hall party, alcohol, yeah. girls, all that stuff. There's no, no parents. parents around. That's the key, right? So yeah, they just prey on that like vulnerable demographic, man. Like And like it's yeah. it's fun. Like I like I loved the dance team. Like but it was so much drama. Like, Nax yeah. was the most drama-filled year of my life. <laughs> Shout out to KSR. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Nax sponsoring this podcast right now. It was just like, like a couldn't deal. I was like, yeah. so I was the... Um, I was one of the Bollywood choreographers and I was on the team and I did three different things and my boyfriend at the time was the Pungra choreographer. Like, okay. I swear to God, like, I don't know how we lasted through that yeah. thing. Like, we were like at each other's throats. He's like 5.30 a.m. practice. I'm like, you want me to wake up at 5.30? I'm like, no, it's not happening. <laughs> and then he would skip practice and yeah. then I would be running his practice. Oh, I was like, we shoot. can't do this. Like nearly broke up every single day yeah. just because of Nax. But like, yeah, it so much gets involved and like, <laughs> I just can't deal. Like I've n- literally never talked to a person who's been on a Nax team and been like, yeah, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, everyone's <laughs> like, I left broken and questioning my life. And like, I can't, I can't go through anything anymore. Oh my god! <laughs> Yo, so, were you witness any any banquet hall fights as part of NAX or OPA? Ooh. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I've witnessed some in my day. All right. Um, <laughs> it's just you know what the funny thing is. One of the things that I find problematic with Punjabi culture mm-hmm. is how much drugs and alcohol are endorsed. Yeah. But also looked down upon. So mm. in our culture, all of our songs, every all of our movies, everything is like Jalal like Daru Pike, like yeah. everything like is all about just getting fucked up. Yeah. And then you come home and your parents are like, you can't drink, you can't go out, you can't do this. Especially as a girl. Yeah. Like I mean my mom never said this to me. She her only thing was she's like, Don't do anything illegal. So okay. she was like, once you're 19, you can drink. She's like, before yeah. then, you're not allowed. Hence why I went to no parties until okay. I was 19. <laughs> um, but like all of the, so all of those things, and then you go to university and alcohol's there for the first time, and like things are heightened, and like I don't know about you guys, but like mm. every time I went to a banquet hall party, at least on my dad's side of the family, fights happen. Like it was 
inevitable. Like you would always like wait and you'd like be like looking at your watch. You're, like, is it 12 p.m. yet? Cause All right. After 12, 12 that's when Yeah, that's when after the 12, start. you're like yeah. 12 a.m. You just like watch the bar and you're like, uh, oh, oh, there he is. He, he said something about someone's sister. There they go. Like, <laughs> and that was always like what we grew up seeing. And mm-hmm. so when you leave all of the kids with Daru and no parents, yeah. like that's what's going to happen. And like, I've seen some nasty fights. Like my year at Nax, like people were going at it. I'm pretty sure this year at Nax or OPA, one of them, like someone got stabbed. Like it's just Jeez. such a, like, I just don't understand. It's because no one is ever taught how to drink responsibly. There's yeah. nothing wrong with drinking. Just drink responsibly. And you, it goes back to culture. Like you were saying, yeah. the culture doesn't endorse <clears throat> moderation. It's yeah. like, no, it's drink as much as you access. can. Get fu- as fucked up as you can. Yeah, I'm still I'm still trying to crack that code. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> still trying to figure it out over here. No, but it, yeah, there. It, it's kind of funny because that's that's the environment we're in. It's just a bunch mm. of music that says the same shit. Like, yep. maybe we need to start playing more Gurdasman at OPA, <laughs> and then so you know, like some Sirtinder Sirtaj and shit, and then. Maybe we'll have more peaceful outcomes. <laughs> I don't know if I want some thoughts playing at all my dance parties. Men's are just going to be crying in the corner. Yeah. But no, that's the thing. I'm like, I love dancing. Dancing for me was my release. Like yeah. going to Pangra practice, my Pangra team was like my family when I was in school. Like in university, I felt out of place for a very long time. Like I had friends, like all of my girls that I went to high school with, they all went to Queens as well. Like the four of us, like we've been friends for 10 years and I yeah. had them. But I still felt so out of place because I was in Kingston, which is a very white town. And I was this brown girl at a very white university. And no, like I was too white for the brown people, too brown for the white people. Like I felt like I never felt like I never fit in. And then my Fungra team, they were all the same. Like it was, we all got along. Like those were like my brothers and my sisters, minus my boyfriend. Um, like we were all a family. Like we used to get together, and like I would make sure leputure on the weekend. Like okay. we made brote yes, on Sunday. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We got <laughs> shout out to show <laughs> one time. Literally, because, the yo, that's an underrated dish, man. Yeah, so I, because we were in Kingston, there were no show leputure anywhere, yeah. and I was like, guess I have to learn. And so me and my team, like. I would like I'd make the puture atta. My boyfriend yeah. would be like frying the puture. I'd be making shole in the background. Like everyone else is setting up the table. Like we were a family, and there, what my dance team is like, what got me through the last couple of years of school, and so like all of like we have that culture of like being together and being there for each mm-hmm. other. But then we also have that culture of like a couple drinks in, like all bets off. Like yeah. it's insane. Well, that's the thing. It's like. We talk about like the hall parties, right? Mm-hmm. I've been at a hall party when there's where there's no alcohol served, right? And it's a mm-hmm. completely different mood. But obviously, car bar and stuff yeah. like that happens, right? <laughs> but if you were to have these same events and there's no liquor, it's a totally different scenario. Oh, yeah. So it, the underlining thing is that liquor mm-hmm. is the problem. The problem of knowing when to stop drinking is not really the Punjabi man's forte. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like it gets it gets competitive. You're like. I can drink more than you can. Oh, and like mine yeah. would always like, I'm, I'm just Welcome a Welcome to my weekend. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm a stubborn human being. You tell me I can't do something. I'm yeah. going to do a tenfold. Well, like, they, shot. Yeah, yeah, they're like, rip this bag? Okay. yeah, I was like, okay, let's go. And they're like, right they're like, it's okay. Like we understand. They're like, you're shorter. They're like, you're five, four. You're a girl. Don't worry. You can't keep up. I'm like, you, I, you think I can't keep up. And like, yeah. literally it's just that mentality. And it gets you like, then, then you're fucked. And you're like, well, how did I end up here? But it's, also like looking out for each other like 
I mentioned this a little bit, like I had an alcohol problem in first year mm -hmm. where I would just go and I would drink and when everyone else was drinking to have fun, I was drinking to not remember what was going on. Like I was drinking for a reason and I was drinking so I didn't have to think about all of the other issues in my life. And that's when I was like, okay, this is bad. But yeah. it literally had to get to the point where like I literally would have died. Like I was on the verge of death to, for me to clean up my act. But I shouldn't have to get there. Like I yeah. should be able to drink and like have fun and not think I'm going to die or like whatever that is. It's because we've never been taught. And like you put alcohol into the situation, all of a sudden people are like, everything's off like let's just whatever happens happens and like i don't know i'm like white people drink wine with their dinner every day like it, like people yeah. can do this like mm -hmm. i don't understand why it has to be such an issue and why it has to be su in such excess and like i've gone to the point where like i know my limits now i know how to control my drinking i don't drink if i'm sad i don't drink if like i'm angry i only drink if i'm having a good time and that's it and like in yeah. moderation like i'll only bring as much as i want to drink or whatever but like all of these things like we've never been taught and it is mind-boggling to me. Yeah. I think it, it kind of, you talked a little bit about it earlier, but the fact, like, as Punjabi culture in particular, mm -hmm. like, it's, it's a very collectivist culture. Yeah. We grow up with a lot of people in the house. We grow up in multi-generational houses. But when stuff like that comes up, whether it's mental health, whether it's addiction, the, the tendency tends to, uh, tends to be to isolate. Mm -hmm. Like, even though we live together, we eat together, we party together, when the real hard stuff comes up, then we kind of leave people out on their own. Yep. And I've always kind of, that's one of the things that's kind of confused me about Punjabi culture in general. It's like, the great point you touched on is like, we celebrate it, but then we look down on it at mm -hmm. the same time. So it's like, we're going to celebrate this culture where we endorse drinking, but when it becomes too much and someone has a serious problem, it's like, nah, you're on yeah. your own, homie. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that is kind of a thing. It's like, we, mm. we, we pump this stuff but we don't give knowledge about what the circumstances mm -hmm. are. Yeah. And that's the thing that I never, I never like, yeah, my mom would be like, yo, cartopini and this, yeah. that, like, you know, all that shit. But there was never no, yo, fucking this, that. It had to be me being older and seeing, okay, my dad can come home have, and have one peg and go to sleep and go to work the next day. And all this comes down to each individual too, right? Mm -hmm. It's, one person can like something and abuse it and one person can like something and whatever. But the thing is, this knowledge of this is not given to everybody. Like, it's going back to that collectivist first individual. Like, we're all about being there for each other. My mom said this to me once. She's like, everyone's going to laugh with you while you're laughing. But as soon as you start crying, she's like, watch, no one's going to be around. Exactly. And like, that's, and it's one of those things because it's so true, but it gets in your head. You're like, so am I not allowed to be upset? Like, what should I do? And like, it's this weird mentality where we're celebrating us being together and like us having this vivid, vibrant culture, but we're also looking down upon it because it's like, it isolates the people who might not kind of fit in in that moment. Yeah. And it's how do you fix that? Like, what do you do? And it's a lot about having open conversations. Like there's so many things in our culture that are taboo and we don't talk about and it only creates that distance. And I think, like I said before, like when you don't understand something, you get scared and you like push it away. And yeah. so you like hide it or whatever. And like same with like when I was going through like my alcohol issues, I hit it even more because like I was like, I'm a girl. Like girls don't have these issues, which is so stupid. That's not like yeah. alcoholism can affect anyone. But for me, I was like, girl, like good girls don't do this. I'm like, I like to think like I'm a good human being. I'm a good girl. Like I've always grown up being like, the goody two shoes of the bunch. And I was like, I can't do that. Like I can't open up 
to anyone about this. And it's only until like probably like the past like couple months that I've started openly talking about it. But it's one of those things where like it was frowned upon. So like I even was like, nope, like let me isolate myself because like people aren't going to understand. So it's so, so weird about all of the like the things we're doing where we're like, yeah, like we're we all grow up. We all live together. But when it comes down to it, who's actually going to help you out? Exactly. I remember because like my mom always used to kick that game to me being like, yo, yeah, you know, yeah, it's cool to have a lot of friends, mm. but just know, yo, when shit hits the fan, yeah, none of these people are going to be around. It's only the people that have that same blood as you mm-hmm. that, you know, and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, y'all, you don't understand what life's like, mom. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, like, you don't know my younger, friends. Younger me fucking do These everything. are my true boys, mom. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what the boys are going to do for me. <laughs> my boys are ready to die. Rob, mama. <laughs> Uh, but then you slowly realize that nobody <laughs> fucking gives a fuck about you, right? Yeah. But that, the Punjabi family just needs to have conversations. Yeah. That's what I've learned. And it's I'm starting to see it more where I always tend to say this thing, yo, it's our duty to fucking share the knowledge mm-hmm. we have. That's the only way that our next generation is going to be able to start off in a better place than we were, right? Yeah. And if our... If, your family tree doesn't get wiser the further on it goes then yo you're fucking up right Mm -hmm. and it's not even like the good knowledge it's also the fuck ups like share like be like i fucked up like there was this one time where i'm like "Eh," and it happened and it sucked but we tend to to fucking whatever just just paint over Mm -hmm. it you know something fuck you break your wall in your house you just paint over it yeah Yeah. throw some wallpaper over it if somebody bumps into that shit that shit's gonna rip right back over that's true so that's the thing you're never dealing with these instances and that's the thing let's say if you fucking if so if you adhere if you are able to hear stories that you can kind of see what the fuck is happening in your life mm-hmm. and maybe you can relate that back to a family member and stopping yourself from getting to the point where somebody might have taken it then yo that's going to be in the back of your head that's more knowledge to you rather than you not knowing what the fuck is happening and then you're just spiraling and just going with it you know because it's it's easy to go that route too. I don't blame anyone for ever going no, that route. Yeah. It's just the circumstances that they were dealt. Yeah. So I would say for the longest time, like I was embarrassed and I mm. thought my mental illnesses were my biggest weakness. And so it was like, this, like there's something fundamentally wrong with me. Like I'm fucked up, like was my thing. And I'm like, I'm fucked up. No one wants, like no one's going to be able to connect with me. Like I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that, whatever. Mm. And for the longest time, that was my mentality. And I was like, this is always going to bring me down. It's always going to hold me back. I'm not going to be able to get to the things that I want to do because of my mental illness. Right. And then the thing I was doing, the things I wanted to do and I was starting to get those opportunities. And it wasn't until last year I had the biggest opportunity in my life. So I got, I, I feel weird talking about it. I don't know. I'm <laughs> like re- weirdly embarrassed, but yo, like boost I yourself. Yo. <laughs> yo, I'm about to boost the hell out of myself right now. Um, but, like, last year, I work at a company called Jack.org, and they're a very well-known youth mental health charity here in Canada. And so the U.K. government had reached out to them and be like, hey, we're hosting this mental health conference. We'd like you to put forward three names of um, young women who you think would be good to talk about youth mental health. And so it, what they weren't the only company they'd asked. They'd asked probably... 10 or 13 other companies around the world and they put forward my name and a couple other girls mm-hmm. and so it had been like three months and they were like okay like these girls are on the short list they're like cool um and 
going through it and then it had been like six months they're like sorry those other two girls didn't get it and like my name was i was like 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 what about me i'm like when are you telling me no and i was yeah. just like waiting to hear that no and one day i get an email from the uk government and i was like gotta be like spam or something like yeah. a russian, <laughs> a, a like, russian please send money here <laughs> yeah, the send, nigerian send prince, the nigerian prince is here. <laughs> and i was like okay whatever and i open up my like it's my work email and I open it up and they're like congratulations like you're gonna be hosting um a portion of the global mental health summit and i was sitting there i was like what what the hell like that's i'm like this isn't real and like i show my boss i'm like seriously like like what's going on and he's like no like they chose you and i was like Mm -hmm. no like there's no way and like i was in shock i was like this isn't happening and like up until like i was like getting on my flight to like go i was like (laughs) Are they going to call me and say, like, yeah. lol, sorry. Like, like we, we, gotcha. literally, we actually wrote down the wrong name. Like, I was like, this is like, this has got to be a mistake. Yeah. And so I go there and even like, I'm, I'm in the room. I'm like doing my thing. I'm like mm. talking and the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge walk in. So like Will and Kate. Yeah. And I'm like, like <laughs> what's going oh, you're on? on? You're on first name basis? <laughs> like, Will, Will and Kate. Kate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know Billy. <laughs> That's my homeboy, Billy. <laughs> they, like, walk in and you I'm like... You know Liz. <laughs> Elizabeth over there. Oh, my God. But they, like, walk in and they, like, we shake hands and I'm mm. like, okay. And I'm, like, standing in front of them talking about me yeah. and talking about mental health in the like as a young person. And the next day I'm having breakfast with the ministers of like Norway and yeah. Canada and shout everything. Out, shout out. <laughs> I thought I was the minister of Norway. Go ahead. Go hey, ahead. Health, the Norwegians really yeah. liked me. I was very oh, happy. Yo, yo, they are very towards anything else. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And so, so like yeah. I like did that event and I was sitting there. And so after that event, I was so drained about like from talking to people and just everything. So I sat there in my hotel room alone for the next day and I was sitting there and I was like, none of this would have happened had I not dealt with my mental illnesses, mm. had I not had my mental illnesses. They like the reason I'm able to speak about these things, the reasons I'm, I got this opportunity in the first place was because I struggled with depression because I had anxiety and I got through it. Right. And so it, that was the point in my head where it switched, where I'm like, I'm not like surviving because like with my mental illness, like I'm thriving, like mm. I'm going out there. I'm like, I'm fucking killing it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm doing things that I never would have gotten to do, but they're all my life goals. And it's because of my mental illness. Like, obviously like I don't wish it upon anyone. And like, I, I still have my days where I'm like, this sucks, mm-hmm. but I've learned to deal with it and I'm still living life and like going and doing things and meeting my goals. And I'm like, you don't have to let this kind of, bring you down you don't have to let it ruin you like you can still live a happy fulfilled life even if you have a mental illness right you just have to figure out how and it takes time Mm -hmm. and like i'm 24 now and literally i don't think i've like figured out how to deal with it until the past six months like the past six months of where all of my like proper changes have come and i'm like okay i can actually deal with this and i actually can go through life with this yeah and and that's the that's the great point you bring up the fact that like once you actually start to take more ownership over looking after yourself mm-hmm. and getting those supports and putting different support systems in place. Like just for myself, when I look back where I was in like 2015, 2014, which was probably my lowest point versus where I am now, it's like, it's like night and day. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause that's when I started to make that change where I was like, I can't continue living the way that I've mm-hmm. been living and something's got to change. And yeah. So I think that's, that's really dope. The fact that, like once you take that ownership, you take that first step, 
you learn how to manage things better, manage the symptoms better. Mm-hmm. And it's always going to be there, but you just learn how to navigate through it. Like you said, yeah. like you understand your story more. You understand how all these factors tie in together and take you to where you are now. And then it's just like something clicks For and then sure. you own it and then you take it to the next level from there. You uh, obviously work uh, in the mental health field. So does my brother Noise and my wife does as well. Um, you guys are people who have uh, battled your own demons in separate ways, but you guys have found a way to find knowledge on it yourselves and also figure out, figure out a way that you can give back to the community, right? So are you seeing a lot of people now within those fields who are more passionate because they have maybe gone through these issues themselves? Yeah, I would say so. So like, I'm not a doctor. I, like, I work in like mental health promotion. So yeah. I don't deal with people who have mental illnesses or anything. Yeah. I just kind of and there and like talking about it um but it is that like passion and like uh, passion and compassion i would say so like the compassion of like i've been through this like i understand so it opens up that conversation like i know a lot of people who are in those fields of like nursing and like caregiving and like being like a community worker a social worker all of that stuff like when you have dealt with it I think it makes you more patient with the people that are around you and they can like people see when you're being genuine like Mm. I all the time I'll get like random messages and then like people I don't know or like hilariously like in my dms like there's people from London like England that will message me they message me once and suddenly like it's been like six months and we're still talking and I'm like how did this happen and it's just I don't know like people see that you're genuine and like you start a conversation and you actually care and you ask them what's going on. And within the field, I think that's what you need. It's not a physical science of like, you're have, like you have these symptoms, so you take this medication and it goes away. Like it doesn't yeah. work like that. There's such a weird complex issue that it is that you need to be patient. You need to kind of hear them out, Yeah, I would say. Well, in the sense of like, for let's say example for you, mm-hmm. right? You're more in the mental health awareness, yeah. right? So... Obviously, mental health awareness is way bigger than it's ever been. Mm -hmm. Not saying that it's to the point that we want it to be at, but are you seeing people showing more passion towards the awareness side of things? Yeah, I think for sure. And I think it always comes from surprising people. Like I've had, like a lot of my friends are like DJs or like they work um, as singers or rappers and all of this stuff. And like all of them have started opening up about mental health, like, noise you're a rapper like you yeah. got, you talk about mental health and like when we we did an event in may where we had a bunch of creatives come together mm-hmm. and talk about mental health and i think everyone's starting to be a little more open and i think it starts with having that initial conversation and one person talking about it letting other people know that it's okay to talk about which wasn't happening before and right. so it's slowly growing and i think it really is that kind of notion of like i get it like let's talk about it yeah i think that's the the great thing about it is like the more awareness that we get out there the more you'll attract people that have experienced something very difficult and Mm -hmm. want to use that experience for something that will ultimately benefit someone else who's gone through the exact same thing um so i think yeah awareness is definitely it's hugely important and as long as the structures are there to kind of back up the awareness Mm -hmm. then i think that's the ultimate place that we want to get to. Yeah, because it's when you, when you've gone through something like that, you realize how important it is to have those supports in place, whether that be a community worker, whether that be a social worker, a doctor, whatever that is, or mm. just someone to kind of listen to you. And I think 
we're starting to get to that place where like now we need systems change like yeah. now people are becoming aware like our hospitals can't handle it our, right, right. like we don't have enough social workers on the ground like they don't get paid enough to like deal with some of the things that they have to go through mm-hmm. and all of this stuff and it's like that's why I like advocate and that's why I'm having these conversations and like I'm starting to realize that like talking about mental health isn't enough anymore like right. it, you do have to like start taking action and like like going and like out, like I went and talked to like the government in Ottawa where I'm like this isn't okay like we can't be telling people yeah, like yeah mental health is great like talk about mental health openly and then they're like okay I'm struggling now what do I do you're like go to the doctor wait three months and then maybe we'll get to you like yeah it's such a weird yeah. system like everything has to have that balance of like there's enough people who are talking about it there's and there's enough people who are there to help when you're ready mm-hmm. kind of thing yeah and I think it's also like having those minority voices included because mm-hmm. like this isn't talked about in our community and like even as young people like our voices like people are always like you're so young like no one's that was one thing that I always got. Like I started talking about this when I was around 22 and, and they're like, Oh, like you're so young. Like mm-hmm. it's okay. You have so much time ahead of you. Like you can create change later. I'm like, no, I don't have time later. Like yeah. I need to deal with this now. Like yeah. let's get, let's get this done now. And people always kind of like brush you to the side and standing up and be like, no, like I have a voice. My voice is also important and you're going to listen. That's why I'm loud and obnoxious. Cause my mom's loud and obnoxious and she says you have to listen. So it's the best way to be. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, yeah. yeah, sometimes you have to be that way to get heard. Yeah, that's, yeah, I guess, what it is. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <sighs> so I think we will kind of wind down from there. Um, but once, one thing that we like to do towards the end of our shows is we like to just discuss with everybody that's sitting here to name one thing that they're grateful for. Um, I can start. So I, I'm grateful for my mama. Like she's my ride or die. She is the most strong, like she's the strongest, most badass, like forever my idol. And like, there will not be a moment in time where I'm not like grateful for her. She just every single time, like whatever I want to do in life, she's never told me no. She's like, you figure it out on your own. She's like, fly high. If you fall on your face, let's hope you can get back up. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Auntie Man. She's <laughs> yeah. like a genius. I've been yeah. trying to convince her to do a podcast with me yeah. and she won't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Auntie and don't forget Gangsta Nani. Yeah. Shout out to Gangsta Nani. Yeah, we got to get the whole, like, your whole family round table. <laughs> oh on my this God. If they were all here, like, oh, we would talk for, like, it would be 15 hours. We'd argue. <laughs> someone would cry. I mean, my mom would stop talking halfway through and then we'd be mad at each other. Two days later, we'll come back and yeah. be like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, noise, you got something? Because I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I want to give a shout out to the, the fine folks at Soch. Yeah, so shout out to Manith and Jasmith. Um, I first discovered them, just kind of became aware of them. Uh, they were doing a lot of workshops. This was like 2016. Mm-hmm. They were doing like a monthly workshop series. Uh, so they had only done a couple at this point. Um, and so I, I attended one. So I'm like, oh, this is really cool. I hadn't really seen a grassroots mental health event like this before. And it was in Brampton, too. So I went, checked it out, met them. They were super cool. Um, and this is when I still had the ideas for my own um, mental health and hip hop workshop. Mm-hmm. And it was just an idea. I had no idea how I wanted to do it, though. So it was just like a, it was a seed, but I didn't know how to make that grow. But they were like, yeah, hey, sit down with us. You know, we can plot it out together. We can support you with it. And yeah, they were hugely, um, hugely supportive and just like very, very 
encouraging. They would say, okay, this works, this doesn't work, try it this way. What if we incorporate this other thing that you never thought of? So they were just like super helpful and they're always great energy to be around. And it's amazing to see like 2016, they were just doing a couple of workshops mm -hmm. here and there. And now, you know, they're their own certified nonprofit organization. Yep. They're doing events in Punjabi. They're doing events for older generations. They're like, traveling the world. <laughs> yeah, like they're really killing it right now. And yeah, I want to give a huge shout out to them because, yeah, if it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't be doing the workshops that I'm doing right now. And they're doing such important work in the community. And yeah, very much needed. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to them. Um, I really stumped this week. Yeah. Um, I'm... Let's just say I'm grateful that the conversation of mental health has just come a long way from us not knowing that, you know, this was a thing to now where we can legit sit in my basement and talk <laughs> for hours about this conversation. Um, it's something that I hold dear to my heart. It's not something that I have obviously pursued as heavy as you guys, but it's one of those things that I think is really fucking important and um, I am still trying to figure out ways to still have these conversations within my family. But I feel like that's my next step in within mental health. But I'm thankful that at least now, you know, that conversation is, is being is happening not even in our generation but within our elders as well because nowadays i hear my mom talking about it all the time and that was never the case in my childhood so i'm just grateful that we're moving in the right direction and mm -hmm. i like you said yeah we've done a lot of talking but mm -hmm. let's let's not be happy with that let's also mm -hmm. put that into action and let's Figure out ways that we can also help that. Yeah, we might not all be on the front lines, but there's a way that we can all, all help in at least creating awareness and then creating at least change within governments to help people that are dealing with these things because nobody should ever tackle these issues alone, which a lot of people do. So I'm grateful for that. One thing that I, that I had, like, because I was thinking about things that we could talk about today earlier, and I'm like... I've never been to therapy myself, mm -hmm. but I would always think about, like, if there was a therapist and, like, say I were to send somebody elder in my family, like, how would they relate to, like, some next, like, Gora sitting yeah. on a fucking chair, right? Yo, that's, but is that's there, true. Is, is there, yeah. that's, so that's when I had the idea. I'm like, yo, is there so-called therapy where they an elder could go talk to an elder Punjabi person? In their native tongue, because I'm like, okay, my mom speaks very good English, mm -hmm. even like Norwegian. She could speak, like if she was to speak Norwegian on the phone, uh, in, like a Norwegian person wouldn't be able to tell my mom's yeah. race, right? Mm -hmm. But still, I feel like her articulating her emotions would be best put in her mm -hmm. native tongue, which is Punjabi. Yeah. So I feel like even for our elders, is there anything like that? Because I'm ignorant to anything that like that. If you guys know, do you know if there's anything like that? This topic gets me so heated. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, like there are a couple places like within like Brampton and stuff like the PCHS, which is like Punjabi Community Health Services. Um, if you go to CAMH, which is the Center for Mental Health and Addiction, you can ask for people who are like 
in your native tongue. If you go to the hospital, you can ask for like people who can speak your certain language. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is that so hard, and you're you're so right. Like it's so much easier to talk about it in your native tongue. What and like a lot of our materials are only in English, or like our information and all of that. And even people like person like I personally don't do therapy because I don't find I I haven't found a therapist I can relate to like no one's been able to understand my mix of like Punjabi culture and Canadian culture and it's been really hard um but I would say like don't like if that is what you want to do like don't stop trying because like there's they're out there and it sucks that it's hard to find them but me like me personally I'm the same way I've found my own ways of therapy through trial and error and figured Mm -hmm. out okay this works this doesn't yeah Mm -hmm. right but like, you know, for the option of, like like you said, a lot of us are blessed to have other people mm-hmm. that we were able to confine in. But let me, like, say for, for our, our OGs and our elders, you know, who may not have that person, if those services were mm-hmm. available, I'm sure even if that affected one fucking person, it'd yeah. be worth having. So I feel like that's something we should... Yeah, there's a couple yeah. helplines now, too, I think... I think I can't remember the exact name, but there's a sick health helpline or something like that. Oh yeah, sick family helpline. Yeah, yeah, sick family helpline. Maybe when we release this episode, let's, you know, figure out a few people that we Mm -hmm. that respectable people who we want (laughs) to fuck with, and you know, we'll throw them in the bio or something. But uh, yeah, because I know with PCHS in particular, they do a lot of programs for the elderly. Mm -hmm. They do mental health peer support workers. So like someone that's been through a mental health challenge, they're going to basically work with someone that's going through it now. Okay. So someone that's like further along or in a different stage Mm -hmm. in their well-being or their recovery process can kind of work with someone where they're at who's still a bit earlier on in it. Okay. But yeah, like you're saying, Jesse, there's not a lot of services. Even where I work, anytime there's like, any brown person, doesn't matter where they're yeah, from, just someone's just like, hey, man, can you translate for us? I'm like, I don't speak that <laughs> language, man. Yeah, my favorite is they're like, they like literally, I'm like, I, I'm Punjabi, and so they're like, oh, South Asian mental health, they're like, send Jesse. I'm like, guys, I'm like, they're, I'm like, they're African, like, they're not, yeah. like, they're just, they're light-skinned, Middle Eastern, like, we're, it's not yeah. the same, like, <laughs> like, no, 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 just go. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So, yeah, a lot, a lot needs to change, but a lot is going in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. Um, first of all, we want to thank you for taking the time coming all the way from Caledon. Yeah, so far away. Drive. You crossed Mayfield. <laughs> Across Mayfield. I don't do that often. <laughs> uh, yeah, but thank you uh, for coming. Thank you for the work you do. And you, the doors are open. I, we definitely love talking about this topic. I'm sure we're going to have more side hustles where we talk about this topic. So, um, yeah, keep doing what you do. And uh, this has been another episode of the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. Okay.